The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners. I had a very, very exciting week this week with many of our online people. So that was exciting. But today we welcome our online listeners. We have been going through, obviously, a series on the 77 Identity Truths. But it's all the details necessary to literally minister to another person using the exchange life. Hopefully I'll get that that job done over the next couple of years. I want to thank the four mentors for encouraging me to write my autobiography by making use of the Identity Matters messages. I have started that this week. I'm already into finished with the introduction and into chapter one, and I am having a blast. What they challenged me to do is take my personal story, put it into each of those messages, and then extract the results. And so that's what I'm doing. So... That's really exciting as well. So today's message is focused on evangelism and mercy. Because I know we're dealing with the social area of life. But in the social area of life, the fruit needs to be how God is using you in the spiritual gifts he's placed within you. Now I want to start out by reemphasizing the scripture that we covered earlier. And I want to use Mary... I'm sorry, but Mary's got the gift of teaching. And so uh, if you remember in the, in the lineup of the scripture that we were reading, the very first people God calls forward first are who? The apostles. The apostles because they are going to build corner post structure for the church. Okay? Who do we have step up next? Prophets, because they need to scatter the sheep. And that really seems to be odd to me that prophets in the Old Testament are known for scattering. What did God do at the Tower of Babel? He scattered the people. The only way to get control of sin is to separate the people. Because if they unify in this sin and belief, we're in trouble. So prophets are known to doing the act of Babylon. And that is separating the people. Who steps up next? Teachers. Why should the teachers step up next? You would think the mercy people should step up next because the prophet wounded them so much. Teacher needs to take advantage of the woundings. Those raw wounds. So if you do have the gift of teaching and you're sitting here or you're listening from afar and you're not listening very, very carefully to the prophets that are in your life, you should be taking notes of what these prophets are laying out so that you can put it in a teaching outline to teach the people what that really means in your life. But if you're using your teaching somewhere else and not in respects to what the prophets are revealing, then there may be a bit of a challenge for you here today. Does that make sense? 
Who follows up the teachers? The miracles. What about all these other guys, pastors and and administrators, even though administration was mentioned in that passage, why are they either not mentioned or lower on the priority list? Because to really get a work of service successfully launched, all you need is an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, and the activation of miracles. That's the bare minimum of activating a ministry. And those of you who have been missionaries and have traveled from here to afar for many years, you know exactly what I'm saying is absolute practical truth. But if you're able to leave behind a pastor to keep that flock together, if you're able to leave behind a church ministrator to raise funds, if you're able to do if you're able to leave some of these positions behind when you leave, you have accomplished all the more. But normally Ministries last a very short period of time. They're probably designed that way by the Lord. Some ministries that are lasting up to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, it's kind of what we as Americans consider to be the norm, but it's not the norm for God. Here's our opening statement. Spiritual gifts is a very important part of church growth. This is why so many body members put such an emphasis on these gifts. Many members believe that discipleship cannot start unless the person is saved. Goodbye, Marky. I love you. You're welcome, honey. Have a good time. Have a good time with your dad. Okay, this is a critical piece. I hope you guys caught this. Is that most of the church believes you can't start discipling someone until after they get saved. Why would they think that? Because most of the Western church thinks that, well, they know that discipleship is getting someone to follow a teacher. And so most think, why would they follow Jesus unless they have Jesus. Surprise, surprise, 90% of the entire self-proclaimed Christians in America are followers of Jesus Christ, but they are not indwelt by Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a process that Jesus took the disciples through to accustom their minds to hearing the teacher. But their conversion did not take place until the day of ascension. Remember when they're all standing there on that mount and, and, and Jesus is getting ready to ascend and Peter, as usual, thought of something and what did he ask our Savior? Jesus, where is this gift that you promised us? And Jesus said, I must... I must go, that it may come. And that's when they received the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Up to that moment, they were pressed upon by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon them like flames on top of the head. It was an external miraculous movement. Now with 
Christ being dead, buried, resurrected, and now ready to ascend, there is an actual gift given that covers all of the responsibilities of the gifts. One gift describes them all. And that's when it happened. To disciple someone, they don't have to be saved. Jesus himself proved that. In fact, one of the disciples, discipleship, one of the disciples was Satan. Am I lying to you? Judas. Jesus looked at Judas and said, For you are of the devil. There's another passage that actually expresses that Judas was possessed by Satan. If I was Jesus, I would have tossed him out the first week. And he happened to be in charge of the banking system. The purse that the disciples took money out of to do their ministry. Satan was in charge of. That was a prophetic layout of the end times, folks. It was prophetic of what was being demonstrated with those disciples was prophetic. Jesus functioned as an apostle in putting structure together. God wanted him to put the structure together so that he too, as a prophet, Jesus starts to function in all of these gifts... Because he is the gift. I must go that it may come. The gift. Peter caught on that it was a single gift that needed to be given to them. Under this single gift were these eight occupational gifts and then these manifestations. Do not think that you have to get someone saved in order to disciple them. Do not think that every person that you are discipling is not going to be of the devil or not. They could be anyone. We used to have people warn us that there were transplants in our conferences that were going to rise up against us after we or when we started teaching. One night, that's exactly what happened. There was a young man that stood up and we had a packed house and I was doing these very powerful messages. They're messages that are probably still to this day the most popular online messages that are preached. And this young man pops up in the group and says, you are of the devil. And it silenced the entire auditorium. And here I had this moment, if you confront a leader publicly... The scriptures say the leader is publicly to take you on. And that's exactly what I decided to do. And uh, the result was pretty miraculous. But here you had someone trying to stop a prophet, a teacher, in a group presenting profound truths. And this, the devil uses this guy and pops up right out of the group and this strange voice starts coming out of this 19-year-old young man. I call that a duh. Because something was going to happen in that group 
I don't think it's an accident that that series has become the most popular downloaded series for 10 plus years. You see, Satan senses an active work of the Holy Spirit because he's able to see the spiritual world going on in an event. So I would think that would be when he would work the most. So we never assume that someone we're discipling is not simply there to destroy you or there to build you up. That Jesus understood. Use of spiritual gifts is a part of the discipleship process. Most Christians believe that the Great Commission is going into the world to get people saved. This is not the Great Call. The Great Call is to go into the world and make disciples, not to get people saved. I need to put this out there because... We're about to talk about the spiritual gift of evangelism. And particularly people in in, uh, India and Africa that are very accustomed to our podcast, they are huge in evangelism. Because that is why a lot of them were sent over there, is for evangelism. And I also need to put another little warning out is that there are many who are listening who put such an emphasis on mercy, your ministry is completely turned emergent. And I want to give you a definition of emergent even some of our regular podcast listeners haven't heard. Emergent is the face of Satan. He's a universalist that believes in multiple religions, multiple political forces, multiple everything. So if he was to stand in front of the mirror and see himself, he would see this tepid, lukewarm, emerged image. So whatever you say to him, he would say, works for me. Mercy is needed to create emergence. Why would that be? Why would mercy be so critical? Why wasn't mercy in our lineup? Because mercy is dangerous. You see, if the apostle puts the fence in place so the prophet can come in and scatter the people, if a mercy person came in after the scattering and focused everything on healing, well, he didn't really mean that. What he was trying to say is, and if you just see all this mercy stuff poured on these people that just got scattered... They're basically saying the prophet was exaggerating. The fear would be removed. The fear of God would be removed. And when the fear of God is removed, there's no, there's no awe of God. Mercy is dangerous. It'll destroy the work of an evangelist. But let's take a look at it. Evangelism, primitive root to gather, get attention, mobilize or recruit. Directing the unbelievers to the way of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So evangelism is a very special gift because it's not doing just what a pastor does. The pastor gathers them into a group too, doesn't he? Gets the whole flock flocking. The evangelist has a specific goal in mind when bringing them into a group. 
It's not just to say, oh, now you're all in a group and you're all safe. It's to say to this gathering that has goats in there and sheep in there. Is there a difference between goat and sheep? What if we just ignored that factor and left the goats with the sheep? Left the masons in there with the real Christians? Because that's where goats come from. That whole culture. So what would happen? 15 years later, 1,500 years later, what would happen? Just leave them together. Hey, form a church with them. You'd have some president coming out talking about the points of light in the sheep, the dumb sheep, as we have the tendency to be. The sheep around them think that this false prophet's talking about us. Then, can you imagine, thank you, you pastor who were in Nigeria that sent me an email saying, I think your, your pastors in your country are in need of evangelism because you have Antichrist preaching from your pulpits. I listened to them. And you know what? My friend in Nigeria is correct because we have Antichrist who are pastoring churches, teaching emergent facial expressions of Satan to a mixed group of goats and sheep. That pastor's right on. If you think that every Christian church has got themselves an indwelt believer standing at the pulpit preaching to you because they memorized or went to school about the word, boy, have you got some learning to do. There are fewer indwelt Christians preaching from the pulpit than you realize. And the day is coming that you will find very, very, very few indwelt Christians in the pulpit of the organized church. Because it does not match the World Council of Churches and the messages that are coming down from the World Council of Churches. Don't separate your people. Don't wound your people with your teachings. Give them the kind of teachings that are actually unifying them to stay together. I know of a couple fellowships very close to this building who will refuse to scatter the flock. See, an evangelist comes in and gathers them so he can point out, you're a goat and you're a sheep. You are a goat and you are a sheep. If you don't do that, you will force mercy upon that group. You see, mercy is for the indwelt believer. Mercy is not for the unbelieving person. It's why they go to hell. But if they want mercy, it is granted to them because mercy is for the children of God. It isn't for everyone. Now, I know I've just wild feathers of a lot of uh, believers But the simple facts are, people are sent to hell because they did not embrace the mercy seat of God. True? The ones who did embrace the mercy seat of God become indwelt believers. Thus, the mercy for them had been appointed and it accomplished its mission. But 
For God so loved the whole world. Of course he loved the whole world. He created the whole world. God desired for the whole world to be unified. But you see, since God has this gift of being able to look into the future and see it as it's happening today, he already knows who's stiff-arming him from day one and before. So he already knows. That's hard for humans to get their mind around. That's why an evangelist can come in and be tough on them and say, there are goats in here. And I need to speak to you goats. Whereas you sheep, just start praying because I'm going to talk to the goats. An evangelist ministry is focused on goat talk. Not indwelt talk. It's critical that we understand that so that these guys are are released in the spirit to accomplish their goat talk. So when they say you're going to hell, when they say your your life is dark, when they say all this hell, fire, and damnation stuff, it is their job. But if you send them to school and say there's new kinds of evangelism, there's friendship evangelism, and they're talking to these goats. They say, come here, come here. No, they've got to die. The goats have to be crucified. They have to be given new life. They have to be separated. They have to do their job. All those like Spurgeon come back. All those early evangelists, I pray you back in Jesus' name. All you evangelists that are in the bushes of Africa, I pray you stronger to separate the goats from the sheep. Deny this emergent movement that keeps them together as one unit. It is going to do nothing more than set up for the end times. A non-yielding evangelist uses the gospel to prosper oneself or recruit lost souls to advance their personal agenda and sometimes financially there's a lot of money to be made in evangelism a lot someone posed to me recently which was not a new question but I had to stop and think about how am I going to respond to this email because this guy had proof that a leading evangelist was a 33rd degree mason millions of people led to Christ. And it was very sad for me because I had to respond to him with anyone who mixes those two cannot be put on the primary list of being a true evangelist. A universalist cannot be a true evangelist. And this is what this guy was posing me with. A universalist cannot be an evangelist. So how could this guy be an evangelist if he was a universalist? I can't answer that question because he may have taken a free ride with the Masons and they kept giving him degrees and he didn't know what they were about. Could be that. This is, this is where we end up where we're so confused I mean, here's a guy that has been caught up in universalism and evangelism, and he's actually warning us that it's not all what you saw. No, 
But what we do is we read their biographies and we listen to their television shows and we check the boxes going, oh, great God, this is a great man of God. And the truth being said, he suffered confusion himself with his own salvation and the salvation of others. Because of blending. Evangelists need to stay hellfire and damnation because that's where the goats are going. To try to turn a goat into this soft message of you'll make it, maybe, is not a good message. That's how I want us viewing uh, evangelism as we get into this. Mercy, kindness, by implication towards God. Having pity on people, sometimes too much. Reproof or subjectively beautiful. Favor, good deeds. Kind, kindly, merciful, mercy, reproach. How many people do you know that you would say are mercy people are known for reproaching people, for reproving people? I don't know any. These are people who actually spank, set the child up and say, Now, I want you to understand blah, 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 blah. This is a parent who's disciplining their child and showing the full-on love and beauty and glory of the character of a loving God. And I know they're out there. But there's none that come to my mind. Usually with mercy people, it's all puff and fluff. It's all blah, 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 and the goodness of everything's positive, everything's a little bit positive mental attitude. PMA. Healing people love the PMA movement. Everything has got a positive edge to it. Well, you first got to scatter them and separate them before you talk about the positive sheep and the negative goats. Each group needs to understand you're trying to be like the sheep because you want to deceive the sheep so you can eat their grass. Now, sheep, you're just kind of dumb. You're easily led to a slaughter, and those goats will lead you to the slaughterhouse. Got that? No, I don't get that. Goats are far more intelligent than sheep. They'll eat anything in sight. And sheep just kind of, whatever you say, and they just kind of look up to goats like they're heroes. And the masons caught on to that and went, well, then we'll be the points of light. A non-yielding mercy person, one who is unkind, grudge-carrying, constantly corrects others, has favorites, good deeds to impress, uses mercy like a tool. Back to the evangelist, the definition of evangelist is a Christian blessed with the gift of evangelism, has a God-given ability to share the gospel with unbelievers in such a way that people come to know Christ Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. 
How many have re- met someone I recently mean in the past year that has the gift of evangelism? You know you're around them because you want to tell them to soften it up a bit. Not all of us are going to hell. They're very strong. And they seem to be single-minded. Everything is getting people saved. I have a father like that. I wouldn't change Elvis for a moment. Everything is evangelism. In fact, I joke with his wife when they put him in his casket, I want them to have the four spiritual laws in his hand and have people take the brochure, the, the booklet out of his hand as he's in the casket. He lived his entire life leading people to Christ. Purpose statement for evangelists is many body members seem to believe that they have this gift because of their excitement of leading people to the Lord Every indwelt believer has a passion to lead others to Christ. So don't forget that. All of us do. But these guys are unbelievably excellent at it. Okay? All believers are given the desire to see others come to the Lord. The Holy Spirit desires for all men to come to Jesus Christ through salvation. As I shared with you before, anyone who knows the future understands who's going to stiff-arm God. So therefore, God knows whom he shall select well in advance. So when Jesus said, For you did not choose me, but I chose you, an evangelist clearly understands that verse. An emergent pastor doesn't get that because he's more Arminialist. He functions more into if man chooses, man gets. That has wounded the church more than any other theology. God chooses whom he chooses. We like to pigeonhole all that stuff into Calvinism or something, you know, or complicated. It's more simple. Characteristics, those into all Christians that truly have this gift feel compelled by the Lord to lead lost souls to him. Those with this gift are are mission-minded. They're always ready to give an answer regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it can be annoying to be around them sometimes. Here's their liabilities when evangelist is walking after the flesh. He or she is known for being judgmental. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. See, everything is consequence-oriented because that comes with their gift. That's what brings the motivation and fear. Two, they typically don't have much time for exhorters. Who are exhorters? Those are disciplers. Those are counselors. Those are people that can sit down one-on-one with a group or a person or a group and really massage in the truths so they hopefully will discover their identity in Christ. Three, people who are apathetic, indecisive, lazy, talk, no action, these people agitate them and will just drive them nuts. Because their whole thing is to create this energy in them as unbelievers to go, 
Oh my, what am I doing here? I need Christ. So when they get a lazy response, oh, there's that's just one of those loud preachers. They just, and they get an emergent response. That is their greatest downfall. It, it just, many times, to be honest with you, it ruins evangelists. They just give up. They're tired. Because the majority of the world today, as you evangelists know that are listening to me, the majority of the world today are filled with exhorters and mercy people and teachers and whatever that they just keep the goats and the sheep all in one group and the evangelists can't seem to get them separated. So we're losing our evangelists. We're losing our hellfire and damnation preachers because the world is completely gone to making people feel good in the worship service. Music, stories, and funny ideas, and all this stuff that seems to be popular in the church today. Where does an evangelist function best? Street ministries, door-to-door ministry, visitation, missions, evangelism training classes, backyard Bible studies, altar calls, preaching, Okay, if we expect God to use us, we'll be ready and willing to do so. God knows he needs the ministry and whom he needs uh, to use to get the job done. And when you're in line with the above three items, God is bound to use you. But you have to have all those lined up. And we have the tendency to think that God will use us no matter what. No, he waits until all the fence are put in. He waits until the prophet gets in there and does, does their thing. And then the teacher comes in and begins to bring order. Tosses the chaos out and brings order. And then all of the other spiritual gifts begin to be applied. Be careful not to tell uh, Christ Jesus how you want to be used. You should tell him, I am willing to be used whatever way that you want. In any case, the important thing is being willing to and expectant of God to do a great and mighty work by using his gifts in you, his way, his timing. Now let's take a look at mercy. Mr. and Mrs. Mercy. Definition. The gift of mercy is a supernatural ability that God gives for certain members of the body of Christ to experience true empathy and compassion for individuals, both in the Christian world and non-Christian world alike. Compassion is a very interesting word. If you separate it, C-O-M-E dash passion, a mercy person is actually into suffering. Passion means suffering. So when the movie, for example, The Passions of Christ or The Passions of Mary or whatever, what they're talking about is they're suffering. Come suffering. Mercy people invite suffering, not cover it with band-aids. The mercy people today who cover pain with band-aids are not true mercy people. Mercy people invite suffering for the sake of bringing healing for the sake of delivering them. It's very, very important to understand. So, the purpose of a mercy person, this gift is used not only for people who suffer from distressing physical, psychological problems, 
but with people in general. So it really does not matter. There's actually evangelism bred into the mercy person. So when they see, sense, feel, know that this person is under suffering, instead of doing the band-aid approach, which is emergent, you're actually drawn to pull the sufferings forward in the person so you could say, do you know why God has this suffering going on in you? Do you understand why you're suffering? And see what they say. It's to lead you closer to Christ. An evangelist would go, what's to lead you to Christ? You see what I mean? So a mercy person is, is, when they're in line with everyone else's gifts, they are unbelievable to watch. The mercy person notices relational and emotional issues related to what the person is going through. There doesn't have to be a problem necessarily, but this person will major on the compassion come suffering and love expressed in the midst of that suffering. Characteristics, those with the gift, love, uh, one-on-one ministries, because they're like a nurse maiden and it's very easy for them to give application to one person who's in front of them that's suffering. A lot of our nurses, doctors, and, and people in that world have this gift. May be misused, yes, but they do have this gift. They enjoy hearing, seeing, hurting people receive comfort. The love and compassion they, they uh, give to others is a very practical and, and approach. Kindness and tenderness flow from them like raindrops from heaven. The mercy person is compelled to rid people of their pain. But a responsible mercy person will actually be able to share with the person why we have pain. So I'm going to ask a ridiculous question to someone who ridiculously deals with it every day. Melissa, what is the purpose of pain? Okay, but just in a raw, core, non-Jesus Christ answer, what is the purpose of physical pain? Like in a medical way? Mm-hmm. It tells you that there's something wrong with your body? Exactly. So what if you were telling me there's something wrong with you and all your symptoms, which we know the list is long, for having cancer. And the way I'm dealing with you is, it'll be okay. Let's, what? Let's pray about that. Let's pray. Don't complain before the Lord. And you start pouring this lukewarm salve all over this person. What are you going to get? Anger. They're going to die of cancer. Mm-hmm. I get that from Mark. People try to do that with Mark all the time. That's why I will not do that with him. If God would give me an unction, he's literally going to be healed and he's going to get up from that couch and walk out the building. That's how I would pray. But if that's not there. I'm not praying that. Just because I've been taught to. Pain is for a reason. It's to say something's not right here. And then the question has to be asked, well, am I okay with this? Am I okay with having to live with this thing until I die? All God wants out of you is yes or no. That's it. And if you say yes, then the reason for your pain has been accomplished. 
Now you can pray, God, if it's thy will, O Lord, to remove this cancer supernaturally, to remove this skin disease supernaturally, to remove this whatever, thy will be done, Lord, as, as on earth as it is in heaven. I take those words literally from my husband. Literally, I need to discover what's in heaven. And I can't go to a movie or read a book to get that, that, got, that job done. I need to know the will of the Father. And the only way I can be assured of that is to receive his mind through the indwelling life of Christ. And even then I better be very careful. These people understand the purpose of pain. They don't wash it away. They have a desire to see it go away. But they understand there's a reason for your pain and they deal with it. They'll reprove you, correct you, reproach you. They will do what is necessary. And that is not the normal view of a mercy person. Wouldn't you like to have your nurse come in and go, Okay, I just want to know what sin's been going on in your life before we treat you here today. That would be closer to a mercy person than the other. Liabilities, because mercy people do not want others to suffer, they, if walking after the flesh, have the tendency to help the hurting people escape the consequences of sin. Two, mercy people can have problems with sleeping at night. Someone please tell me why, particularly if you're a mercy person. Why would you have problems sleeping at night? Okay, and, and I want you guys to try to mentally capture that image. It would be like walking over... Do you ever see the movie Sin Eater? It's a great movie, isn't it, Mary? That's another movie you should rent. It's an actual movie that came out of Francine Rivers' book, Sin Eater. But the visual picture of what this Sin Eater does is absolutely almost mirror for mirror of what the mercy person does, is they literally take the sin off the person and they eat it. It's an old Irish fable. They eat the person's sin, it becomes a part of them, and they're to live an anxious, dark, restless life until they die. And it was their old, 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 unbiblical way of trying to communicate that Christ is the sin eater. But he doesn't live in darkness. You see, he did deal with sin. That's what a mercy person does. They're just anxious. They're restless. They take everything personally. My wife's spiritual gifting tests, I don't believe, ever showed, as many times that she has taken that test, showed high ranking for mercy. I consider it one of her highest. You see, oftentimes when it comes to these particular gifts, people don't see themselves like that. Teachers, they know they're teachers because oftentimes they're paid to be teachers. Pastors are pastors because they are oftentimes paid to be pastors. 
Evangelists, not so much, but they kind of know they always have this compelling thing inside to lead people to Christ. Oh, the higher end paid ones, yes. But mercy people, exhorters, some of these soft-tailed gifts, they're not loud that way, so many times the person is not even aware they have it. So when you start talking about the liabilities, they go, I got that, I got that, I got that, I got that. And then they discover their spiritual giftings through their liabilities. Other liabilities, struggling with feeling subservient, insecure, fearful, embarrassed, bailing when when confronted, being embittered at people with strong giftings such as prophets and exhorters. People who are pushy, loud, confrontive, inflexible, unfair, and proud offend them. I always can tell, and a lot of people think it's because I got some spiritual gifting to tell when someone's about ready to trash me. That's not really necessarily true. There's some truth about that, but I can tell the looks in people's eyes if they're about to trash me because of the liability of their gifting. And it is an art you can learn. I can teach it to any of you. And those who have taught people in the spiritual gifting, you teach them through liabilities. So if you're strong in preaching about a particular item, and you see this look in their eye like, I wish he would just shut up. I wish he would uh, be more gentle. I wish he would be more, you know... Their liabilities is what is confessing that your gifting is affirmative. And they don't realize it, but their gifting is being confirmed. So, this is what I watch for with the mercy people. Does that make sense? If I would implore you to do something, you online listeners, please go back to the library Click on the PDF and print it. Read through these liabilities over and over and over, and I think you're going to discover something quite unique. You will discover your workers' spiritual gifting by understanding their liabilities. Because if you cling to the positive attributes, you'll see those positive attributes being an evangelist and an exhorter and a teacher and an administrator, it is very difficult to find spiritual gifting by positive attributes. You see? Pretty easy with liabilities because all the liabilities are classically different. So a mercy person needs to become strong, courageous, challenging, aggressive, assertive, confrontational, supportive in those who have strong gifting. Does this look like the opposite of what I just read you? They're actually afraid of these people. When in the truth being said, that's what they're supposed to be good at. That's how you find it. But if I react to their weaknesses and liabilities, then I'm actually denying the process of the Holy Spirit to use me to help the person find their spiritual gift. So here's our identity statement for today. Jesus Christ is the great and perfect evangelist, certainly the man of mercy, 
In fact, one of his 225 names is called the mercy seat. Those who attempt to function in these gifts without yielding to the indwelling life of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the church can easily turn an entire body emergent. So I will close with this statement, which I said earlier. The mercy people are the most dangerous people in the church today. If their gift is not yielded to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit within them, if every thought is not held captive, these people will turn a good, dynamic, strong, hard-hitting church, emergent, soft, the skin, as soft as the flesh is, it'll turn that whole church into an emergent church. Because they, they reject all of the strong ones. On that bottom paragraph, everyone who's strong, confrontive, aggressive, whatever, which they're supposed to be, they refuse to submit to Christ Jesus and be in those strong things. They stay emergent and everything becomes about superficial things like leaves on the tree, bark on the tree, hugging a tree, all of this new age emergent stuff that has blended into their Christianity. It's not about lost souls anymore. It's about saving historical elements on buildings or whatever and they call it their ministry it's not their ministry please in Jesus name I pray that you receive this message those of you who have this gift please I'd be very interested in hearing your struggles so please contact me at Corporate, C-O-R-P-O-R-A-T-E at IOMAmerica.org and I will respond to your emails. So Father, we want to thank you for this message today and I know that some of the mercy people that have listened to this message um, are upset. Some are bored. And some have been confirmed of what they have known to be true their entire indwelt Christian life. Father, those who have been uh, blessed by the message of evangelism, I thank you for those that it has cleaned up some unclear pieces. I thank you for those who are agitated with this message because they are warring against finding truth. And then I thank you, God, for those who just simply used it as an unbelievable, incredible encouragement to what they do every day. Please, Father God, bless our evangelists and bless our mercy people. And we honor you, Father, for making them and giving them to us in Jesus' name. Amen. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.